I'm going to be reading out of the gospel according to St. Matthew. Baptist people say saint. And just a short passage, and then we'll get into um, some discussion about this theme on rescue. And it's so great to be here. I was telling uh, Pastor Danielle last week and Pastor Kevin how um, the atmosphere here, the congregation, the community here um, just really is a ripe space to just have some conversation. Um, And that's a really, really fun thing for someone who loves the word as much as we do. So Matthew chapter 28, I'll be reading verses 16 through 20 out of the New International Version of our text. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. My message today obviously is under the umbrella of this theme that um, this value that has been explored more here at Spark, which is rescue. But I've entitled my message Instruments for Rescue because we are God's instruments for rescue. And I understand that the first week that this was kind of explored, we looked at the character of God as rescuer. And then we spent some time last week. I had a chance to be here when Pastor Dave was speaking on what it means to be people that need rescue. And today I want us to have a little conversation and just think upon what it means for us to be called as people of rescue. I... um, look back and think on the people that have had the greatest impact on my life, the people that I would consider my heroes and sheroes. And unlike kind of pop culture to the yes, sheroes, hello. (laughs) Representing for the ladies. Give me some on that, Pastor Danielle. All right now. Um, So, you know, I think about how pop pop culture nowadays, if you were to ask um, some of, you know, my younger sisters and brothers in Christ, and not even just the younger ones, but they've become so infatuated and enamored by people that are grotesquely selfish. A lot of money, a lot of cars, a lot of status. And some of that spirit has even infected the body of Christ, where we see people that are attracted to and enamored by this gospel that suggests that God wants us all to be rich and everything that we have for his glory is material. But my heroes and sheroes in the faith and in the world are those that sacrificed their lives and made courageous, bold attempts to rescue others. If you'll allow me on this first Sunday of Black History Month to express my affection for one of my sheroes. Her name is Harriet Tubman. And many of us have heard Harriet Tubman. We know the story and how she's affiliated with the um, very organized and highly sophisticated system called the Underground Railroad. And she was a slave who was bold enough to stand against the system and not just run away facing her own death, but to risk and to sacrifice her life, rescuing her family, her siblings, even those who had ran back and forth between enslavement and being runaways. They, she went back and forth for this mission to rescue them to freedom and deliverance. 
Another one of my heroes, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you remember this, four years ago, it was actually on my birthday, January 15th, my 30th birthday, my greatest gift was the miracle on the Hudson when Chesley Sully Sullenberger landed that plane and got 155 passengers safely out of, you know, harm's way and safely landed them in what would be considered a miraculous landing on water. Another one of my heroes, um, as I reflect on this theme of how we're called to be people of rescue, is this woman by the name of Vicki Soto. And Vicki Soto was one of the teachers who was among the 26 adults and children that was murdered in Newtown, Connecticut. And um, though she was slain, she's the teacher that hid her students in the closet and, um, you know, shielded them from the gunmen. And though she was gunned down, I will look to her as being a rescuer for those precious babies whose innocent lives were not taken, though their classmates were. Sometimes our calling as rescuers is really dramatic, like a, Har- a Harriet Tubman or a Sully Sullenberger or a Vicki Soto. Sometimes people have to literally lay their lives down to free and to deliver others out of evil, violence, confinement, and danger. And sometimes it's not that dramatic. Sometimes we're just given the opportunity and the responsibility to be rescuers in the lives of our own spheres of influence. And many of us, even though we may not be called to preach or we may not be called into dramatic high-profile ministry, we have all been given the responsibility. Our text here in Matthew picks up after um, the extraordinary life and teachings of Jesus Christ. And we see that he has died that he's been buried, and as the story shows, that he has risen. And we learn that he came back and appeared to his disciples, and the text records 11, but we know that there was a few more, and we also know that it was some sisters in the rank. Hello, somebody. Let me get a little bit on that. All right, now. And we see that that he has come back to give them um, a reassurance of the promise. Now, let's just explore this extraordinary life of Christ. He came down from heaven, the son of God, the gift that we were to have, the gift that would release us from the imprisonment of our human situation. Jesus was God's gift to us. And we learn that his divinity was made full well when he was on that cross and when he died. And yet the scripture records that when he reappeared in his full divine self, that he says that all authority on earth and in heaven has been given to me. So bow down. He could have just said that. He did not just say bow down because I'm Christ And I'm God's son, and I'm so amazing. He said, all authority has been given to me. Now let me empower you to do what I did. Oftentimes, and I love worshiping the the person of Jesus Christ. We all do, who know him and love him. We love it because it's so awesome. He's so amazing. He's a great teacher, great example. And yet he didn't stop at the desire to be worshiped. His final commission, or what we learn or ascribe this this passage as the Great Commission, 
was to give his to give his disciples the empowerment and the authority to do what he did, which was to help and to serve and to teach. So his final charge to these people and to us was to go to make and to teach. So I want us to talk a little bit about what that means, because sometimes we can um, assume that the responsibility to continue to go and to make and to teach rests solely upon the pastors and the preachers that are in our churches. And that's not the case. We've all been called to do what Jesus did. Maybe it looks a little bit different, but we've all been given a piece of this responsible that he gave to us. I'd like to share a few thoughts on what that could potentially look at, look like. First and foremost, the calling and the gift of being rescuers and those that Jesus has called into his ministry, all of us who follow him. The, first of all, that is a privilege. It's not an obligation. Sometimes when we get called, it can feel like a divine chore. There are some things that we do because we got to do it. Anybody in here ever just worship God because you didn't, you had to, not because you necessarily felt like it? Am I the only one that's going to be honest today? Am I the only one that's going to be honest today in here? Okay, let me get some on that. All right, now. Sometimes we do things because we have to. They're life-sustaining, but we kind of have to grow sometimes to get to a point where we actually really appreciate it. Giving, hello, it gets real silent when we start talking about giving. You know, I used to give. Because I thought, you know, well, you're supposed to do that. And, you know, we know that God loves, loves a cheerful giver. But when you, you know, when it's a whole lot of, you know, month at the end of your money or you haven't had a whole lot of change in your pocket, it could be a little bit more of a challenge to give. But you grow to a point where you do it not out of divine obligation or chore, but because you really deeply have the desire to do so. And so is serving. Some of us got drug along to serve and to volunteer because our mamas, aunties, or grandmamas had to do it. Some of us had to do it just because it was our only way to get a ride to church or from church. Some of us had to do it because that was the only way we was going to get a snack after church. <laughs> Hello. Black people have snacks after church all the time. So we used to just serve to do that. But... You get to a point where you start to align your heart and your calling and the, uh, and the ownership that you take of being in this ministry, and it graduates from being a divine chore to something that you know moves and fulfills your purpose in God. It's a privilege to be a rescuer. And for some of us, yes, it may be very dramatic and it may make headlines, but for the most of us, that will not be the case at all. And God will offer us opportunities to be rescuers in our communities, in our families, and in the organizations that we're affiliated with. But I want us to take this point a little bit further as we contemplate the idea or the notion of us having the privilege of being rescuers. Because that privileged that privilege can be used. Remember I said at the beginning that the title of this message was to be an instrument of, of rescue. So our prayer should be, Lord, use me as your instrument of rescue. So when God is using us, we're seeking God on the proper places where we ought to be serving. That could be in the context of a church. 
That could be volunteering for a secular organization, a faith-based organization, a parachurch organization, or even just some civil organization. There's a variety of ways that we can be light and be rescuers as God has commissioned us to. When we're being used, we are using the gift and the responsibility in a way that's bettering others. That's helping them to not be in the oppressive, in the oppressive situation that maybe they could find themselves into. We're serving. We have a heart of service. We have the desire to serve. Then it becomes a pleasure. It becomes actually fulfilling, not just for the other people, but for us as well. So we have the opportunity and the privilege to be used as instruments of rescue. But then sometimes we can misuse being a privilege, being privileged to be instruments of rescue. We can be used and we can also misuse the privilege. Sometimes when we're misusing the privilege, we're doing the things or the acts of service that are in our lap because we're doing it for competition. Sister such and such did it and I want to be better than her. Sometimes we do it because we want to win the affection of certain people. Maybe the in crowd is doing something. So we want to be in the in crowd and we want to win the affection of somebody else. Some of us only doing it because we're trying to find a husband. Hello, somebody. (laughs) Am I the only one in here that's put ourselves in a position maybe to win the affection of somebody else? Okay, all right, be honest. I'm thinking, let me get a little, all right now. (laughs) We don't want to misuse the privilege of being called to serve and to be an instrument of rescue for God. Sometimes we have to look at what things are not to get a deeper understanding of what things are, which is why we're challenged to have, you know, some self-reflection and do some self-inventory. Maybe you can ask yourself and be honest with the privileges that you've had, and maybe we have misused those privileges. God is faithful and gives us plenty of grace to correct those mistakes. Sometimes misusing the gift means not so much that we're doing anything negative from our own heart or motive, but sometimes we're enabling others. Can I be honest today? Sometimes we take on, we put our capes on to be instruments of rescue, and we end up enabling individuals that we need to be helping to build and develop to do some of those things on their own. Sometimes we put our capes on to become instruments of, 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 of rescue, and we end up judging the people who are in the predicaments that got them in the situation where they needed our rescue. We can't be in situations where we're helping people and then beat up on them because they need help. Anybody in here ever experienced needing some help? being a person needing rescue and then feeling judged or ashamed or belittled because of being in that space of need. Everyone has needed rescue at some point in their lives. And if you haven't, keep on living. But what we don't want to do is misuse the privilege and enable others or judge others for the ways that they need our help assistance, and rescue. But I also want to talk about the ways that many folks have, and we've experienced, and if we're going to be honest, maybe even some of us in this room have abused 
the privilege of being an instrument of rescue. See, we've got use, we've got misuse, and then we've got abuse. Misuse means that we've done things a bit improperly. Maybe our motives were a little on the dicey side. Abuse means that we're taking the power or the influence or the responsibilities that we've been given and we manipulate them for our own selfish gain. That's when we see folks trying to control other people. And let me just say while I'm in this church, that it's really refreshing to be in a space where the leadership is not drunk off themselves and their own talents and gifts and want to control and manipulate the people that come into their church. Many of us, myself included, have been involved in congregations where the leadership was so toxic that they began to abuse the privilege of being leaders. Not only is it a gift and a privilege to serve others, it is a gift and a privilege to lead others. And many of us find ourselves in our respective, you know, spheres of influence. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're a husband or a wife. Maybe you're a manager or a supervisor. Maybe you're in a profession that gives you direct influence other, over, uh, over other people. Teachers, doctors, nurses, nonprofit organization. What about volunteers? The potential for abuse is subtle and it can be seductive because power and influence can be subtle and seductive. And so we have to make sure that when we're given the tools to influence and to serve and to help, and, it, and God help if we've got to really rescue individuals out of violence, danger, evil, or confinement, we cannot abuse that. Because especially those of us who wear a faith-based shield on us and identity, if we abuse that, we have the potential to do more harm and damage than anything else. Let somebody break your heart, a girl or a woman. You'll, you'll find you another one. I've had my heart broke. Found me another boyfriend. <laughs> but let a pastor or a leader or a mentor from church abuse you. I've seen people walk not out of church, but off the ministry, out of church altogether. Don't want to know nothing about Jesus no more. And we as Christians, those of us who, are, who have been called as people of rescue, many of us will find ourselves wounded people in our laps. They've been wounded by other people that wore our same titles. They've been wounded by other people that claim to love the same God that we did, but abused the gift, abused the privilege of being called to rescue. Brothers and sisters, I want us all, and my prayer for all of us, is that we will take inventory of our lives. Maybe you already are. Praise the Lord. If you are, this is a word of affirmation for you. But someone in here may be dealing with a little spiritual low self-esteem where you don't think that God can use you where you are or that your gifts are that valuable or because it hasn't been recognized or affirmed or, you know, put in the spotlights that God isn't of, you know, loving what you're doing and pleased with what you're doing. Let me affirm you as an instrument of rescue, whatever your sphere of influence is, you bloom where you're planted. You make that thing work for you. Don't compare yourself with other people. If I had to compare myself to the people 
that I thought or perceived were better than me, I would have spiritual low self-esteem all the time. I love Pastor Danielle's hair. I don't have that hair. I'd have to buy that hair. (laughs) It would cost me $300 for that. (laughs) It would cost me $300. (laughs) But honestly, the people who are gifted amongst us, and of course I'm being facetious, we, we laugh about this kind of stuff all the time, but the people who you know you consider to be your, your heroes and your sheroes and the people that inspire you and you see them doing great things for God, they should never intimidate us. They should inspire us. We find those things and those characteristics that they're doing, and we allow them to inspire us. If they're doing something that you need encouragement on, praise the Lord. Take the lesson. Keep it moving. But we all have enough responsibility. And sometimes in churches, we don't know our way. We don't know where we fit in. We're not quite sure if there's a space for us. I guarantee you, you can be used right where you are. And if you're called, and we all are, to follow God and to be a part of a community, you are called as an instrument of rescue. I love how in the text, Christ asserts his full rabbinic nature, fully a teacher, always using an opportunity to teach, always maximizing opportunities to illustrate things in nature and um, using opportunities where people make mistakes, not to shame them, but to use it as a teaching opportunity and tool. I love that about him. And then we see even unto death and his resurrection, he's still empowering his disciples to do as he did. See, we have gifts that we're then called to duplicate in other people. So sometimes we're called as instruments of rescue and we're on the front line. And then we have to take the next step when we graduate to another level, which is where we're then empowering and mentoring other people to do the things that we've done. We can't hold our little secrets, not like a recipe. You know, sometimes you have a little recipe and you want to keep it special for you and your family. (laughs) When you're an instrument of rescue in the body of Christ, we have to share those tools and those giftings and all of the knowledge and all of the wonderfulness that we have with other people. Do you know how groundbreaking the foundation experiment is? Do you know how many teachers would never spend that much time with people? Because they'd be intimidated that somebody else would take the teaching, duplicate it somewhere else, and do it better. But Pastor Danielle and Pastor Kevin, they want you to take the teaching, take it somewhere else, and multiply. Because we're not, they're trying to take this movement of, of Jesus into every environment that we can. So if you're awesome, make somebody else awesome too. <laughs> right? That, too, is being used as an instrument of rescue for someone else. It's a trickle-down effect, almost like multi-level marketing, right? (laughs) You get one friend, and then they get five friends, and then they might get eight. Let it multiply. It's all right. God doesn't mind. We can't misuse it and keep that kind of intellectual property to ourselves. And we can't abuse it and try to control people and keep them at a level that you know they have the potential to grow in. Many people know because I've been very vocal about the fact that I've survived sexual assault twice in my life. And um, at a certain point when I, you know, got emotionally healthy, I became a California certified rape crisis counselor. 
And so as a rape crisis counselor, I took hotline calls and um, did hotline shifts. And then we did hospital accompaniment for victims that came into um, the emergency room. And it was a really, you know, fulfilling, great time of my life. I was really, really grateful to do it at the time. Um, I was in the middle of ordination and and in my way into um, seminary. So it was a lot of responsibility, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I knew that because I had been rescued literally out of some bushes, that God had called me to rescue others. Because in my experience, the most painful and injurious community was my church. They were not instruments of rescue for me. And I vowed as a called pastor that I would not allow trauma, especially sexual trauma, to be a platform to re-injure other people with the Bible, which has been designed as a liberating tool. So I started doing that, and then I had the opportunity to lead support groups in the context of the church, and it was great because now we were able in the church, who's been so silent about this issue, to name it, to call it out as an injustice, and to provide some space to talk through Jesus' design for healing even in the context of the church. And it was great, and I've been doing that for about five years. And then the Lord allowed me the opportunity to duplicate that in other people. So I'm still kind of on the front line, but now I'm watching other people on the front line that I've had the opportunity to come alongside and serve with me. And I'm like, do your thing. You can be great and awesome. We all can be great and awesome because this is an, oppor- this is an, 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 an area that's so untapped. And when I went to graduate school, went back to graduate school, I was doing my dissertation research on this as well. And so I'm trying to hopefully duplicate it more in other people. Now, I'm not telling you this because I want you to see an example of how great things can be. It's just an illustration of how sometimes things can happen in our own lives. And we have a personal testimony and a personal experience, either with things being great or things being not so great. And the Lord will fuel that experience to lead us to be instruments of rescue for other people. My heart, as it pertains to the issue, especially with sexual abuse, is that people know that it's okay, that it's painful, and that it hurts, and that God didn't like it, and that if you're depressed about it, God can help that too, that you're not weak or broken forever because of that happening. And sometimes we have to go through a process to get there. Trust me, there was a lot of therapy before I was emotionally healthy enough to do that. So I want to give the disclaimer. Some of us have experienced and survived situations that were very difficult, and then we want to rush to go out and rescue those who have had the same things. We've got to do some personal work. We've got to, we have to develop that part of us that has been broken and healed so that we can be an instrument and have a testimony for those that are dealing with similar brokenness. So I want to encourage whoever it is today, maybe you're feeling a little insecure, unsure, uncertain about how God may be shaping you for service or shaping you for, um, you know, being an instrument of rescue in this church or beyond. And let me encourage you that everything that you need is in you and in your relationship with God. I would strongly encourage those of you who may not necessarily be sitting under the teaching of Foundation Experiment, do your own Bible study. 
there is so much learning in this text. It is ri- it's so rich. And we see God rescuing people over and over and over. From the beginning to the end, this overarching theme of this God as his character as rescuer, identifying that we are people that needs rescue, and then accepting the great commission to be instruments of rescue in the earth realm. You're in a great church at a great time to be doing so. So let me offer a prayer for you, and then I'm going to take my seat, and it looks like the time is getting real close. (laughs) And we can get on with the afternoon, amen? (laughs) So let me offer a word to pray for you as we close out. God, we just thank you so much because you are with us. We know you're with us. We celebrate that you're with us. And we know that there are things that you're doing in and through us, God. You're shaping our hearts. You're healing our hearts and you're molding our hearts to be your instruments. Lord, I want to lift to you, my brothers and sisters here in this congregation. You know them each by name. You know every family that's represented here. I just want to pray, Lord, that you would strengthen the hearts and the minds and the efforts of this your people, Lord, so that we can be your instruments in a way that pleases you, that brings you glory, and draws your people close to yourself. God, we want to hear your voice. We want to see what your eyes see. Lord, we want to know what it is that you have for us. And so we just ask right now, with hearts of thanksgiving, that you would show us your way that you would order our steps, and Lord, that you would allow us the privilege of being your hands and your feet on the earth. We trust you for every resource necessary to do what it is that you're calling us to do. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise, to give you all the credit, even when it's difficult to love your people. And sometimes we don't understand your movement but we trust you anyway. You're a good God all the time, and we love you. In your holy name we pray. Amen, amen, Amen. and amen. God bless you.